Chapter One, Section Three of *The Promise of American Life* by Herbert Crawley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by the Progressing America Project. Chapter One, Section Three: How the Promise Is to Be Realized. In the preceding section, I have been seeking to render justice to the actual achievements of the American nation. A work of manifest individual and social value has been wrought, and this work not only explains the expectant popular outlook towards the future, but it partially determines the character, as distinguished from the continued fulfillment of the American national promise. The better future, whatever else it may bring, must bring at any rate a continuation of the good things of the past. The drama of its fulfillment must find an appropriate setting, in the familiar American social and economic scenery. No matter how remote the end may be, no matter what unfamiliar sacrifices may eventually be required on its behalf, the substance of the existing achievement must constitute a veritable beginning, because on no other condition can the attribution of a peculiar promise to American life find a specific warrant. On no other condition would our national promise constitute more than an admirable but irrelevant moral and social aspiration. The moral and social aspiration proper to American life is, of course, the aspiration vaguely described by the word democratic, and the actual achievement of the American nation points towards an adequate and fruitful definition of the democratic ideal. Americans are usually satisfied by a most inadequate verbal definition of democracy, but their national achievement implies one which is much more comprehensive and formative. In order to be true to their past, the increasing comfort and economic independence of an ever-increasing proportion of the population must be secured, and it must be secured by a combination of individual effort and proper political organization. Above all, however, this economic and political system must be made to secure results of moral and social value. It is the seeking of such results which converts democracy from a political system into a constructive social ideal, and the more the ideal significance of the American national promise is asserted and emphasized, the greater will become the importance of securing these moral and social benefits. The fault in the vision of our national future possessed by the ordinary American does not consist in the expectation of some continuity of achievement. It consists rather in the expectation that the familiar benefits will continue to accumulate automatically. In his mind, the ideal promise is identified with the processes and conditions which hitherto have very much simplified its fulfillment and he fails sufficiently to realize that the conditions and processes are one thing, and the ideal promise quite another. Moreover, these underlying social and economic conditions are themselves changing, in such wise that hereafter the ideal promise, instead of being automatically fulfilled, may well be automatically stifled. For two generations and more the American people were, from the economic point of view, most happily situated. They were able, in a sense, to slide downhill into a valley of fulfillment. Economic conditions were such that, given a fair start, they could scarcely avoid reaching a desirable goal. But such is no longer the case. Economic conditions have been profoundly modified, and American political and social problems have been modified with them. The promise of American life must depend less than it did upon the virgin wilderness and the Atlantic Ocean, for the virgin wilderness has disappeared, and the Atlantic Ocean has become merely a big channel. The same results can no longer be achieved by the same easy methods. Ugly obstacles have jumped into view, 
and ugly obstacles are peculiarly dangerous to a person who is sliding downhill. The man who is clambering uphill is in a much better position to evade or overcome them. Americans will possess a safer as well as a worthier vision of their national promise as soon as they give it a house on a hilltop rather than in a valley. The very genuine experience upon which American optimistic fatalism rests is equivalent, because of its limitations, to a dangerous inexperience, and of late years an increasing number of Americans have been drawing this inference. They have been coming to see themselves more as others see them, and as an introduction to a consideration of this more critical frame of mind, I am going to quote another foreigner's view of American life, the foreigner in this case being an Englishman, and writing in 1893. The American note, says Mr. James Muirhead in his Land of Contrasts, quote, includes a sense of illimitable expansion and possibility, an almost childlike confidence in human ability, and fearlessness of both the present and the future, a wider realization of human brotherhood than has yet existed, a greater theoretical willingness to judge by the individual than by the class, a breezy indifference to authority, and a positive predilection for innovation, a marked alertness of mind, and a manifold variety of interest, above all, an indistinguishable hopefulness and courage. It is easy to lay one's finger in America upon almost every one of the great defects of civilization, even those defects which are specially characteristic of the civilization of the old world. The United States cannot claim to be exempt from manifestations of economic slavery, of grinding the faces of the poor, of exploitation of the weak, of unfair distribution of wealth, of unjust monopoly, of unequal laws, of industrial and commercial chicanery, of disgraceful ignorance, of economic fallacies, of public corruption, of interested legislation, of want of public spirit, of vulgar boasting and chauvinism, of snobbery, of class prejudice, of respect of persons, and of a preference of the material over the spiritual. In a word, America has not attained, or nearly attained, perfection. But below and behind, and beyond all its weaknesses and evils, there is the grand fact of a noble national theory founded on reason and conscience. End quote. The reader will remark in the foregoing quotation that Mr. Muirhead is equally emphatic in his approval and in his disapproval. He generously recognizes almost as much that is good about Americans and their ways as our most vivacious patriotic orators would claim, while at the same time he has marshaled an army of abuses and sins which sound like an echo of the pages of the London Saturday Review. In the end he applies a friendly dash of whitewash by congratulating us on the grand fact of our noble national theory, but to a discerning mind the consolation is not very consoling. The trouble is that the sins with which America is charged by Mr. Muirhead are flagrant violations of our noble national theory. So far as his charges are true, they are a denial that the American political and economic organization is accomplishing the results which its traditional claims require. If, as Mr. Muirhead charges, Americans permit the existence of economic slavery, if they grind the faces of the poor, if they exploit the weak and distribute wealth unjustly, if they allow monopolies to prevail and laws to be unequal, if they are gracefully ignorant, politically corrupt, commercially unscrupulous, socially snobbish, vulgarly boastful, and morally coarse, if the substance of the foregoing indictment is really true, why, the less that is said about a noble national theory, the better. A man who is a sturdy sinner all the week hardly improves his moral standing, 
by attending church on Sunday, and professing a noble Christian theory of life. There must surely be some better way of excusing our sins, than by raising aloft a noble theory of which these sins are a glaring violation. I have quoted from Mr. Muirhead, not because his antithetic characterization of American life is very illuminating, but because of the precise terms of his charges against America. His indictment is practically equivalent to the assertion that the American system is not, or at least is no longer, achieving as much as has been claimed on its behalf. A democratic system may permit undefiled the existence of many sins and abuses, but it cannot permit the exploitation of the ordinary man by means of unjust laws and institutions. Neither can the indictment be dismissed without argument. When Mr. Muirhead's book was written sixteen years ago, the majority of good Americans would assuredly have read the charge with an incredulous smile, but in the year 1909 they might behave differently. The sins of which Mr. Muirhead accused Americans sixteen years ago are substantially the sins of which today they are accusing themselves, or rather, one another. A numerous and powerful group of reformers has been collecting, whose whole political policy and action is based on the conviction that the common people have not been getting the square deal to which they are entitled under the American system, and these reformers are carrying with them a constantly increasing body of public opinion. A considerable proportion of the American people is beginning to exhibit economic and political, as well as personal discontent. A generation ago the implication was that if a man remained poor and needy, the poverty was his own fault, because the American system was giving all its citizens a fair chance. Now, however, the discontented poor are beginning to charge their poverty to an unjust political and economic organization, and reforming agitators do not hesitate to support them in discontention. Manifestly, a threatened obstacle has been raised against the anticipated realization of our national promise. Unless the great majority of Americans not only have, but believe they have, a fair chance, the better American future will be dangerously compromised. The conscious recognition of grave national abuses casts a deep shadow across the traditional American patriotic vision. The sincere and candid reformer can no longer consider the national promise as destined to automatic fulfillment. The reformers themselves are, no doubt, far from believing that whatever peril there is cannot be successfully averted. They make a point of being as patriotically prophetic as the most old-fashioned democrat. They proclaim even more loudly their conviction of an indubitable and a beneficent national future. But they do not and cannot believe that this future will take care of itself. As reformers they are bound to assert that the national body requires for the time being a good deal of medical attendance, and many of them anticipate that even after the doctors have discontinued their daily visits, the patient will still need the supervision of a sanitary specialist. He must be persuaded to behave so that he will not easily fall ill again, and so that his health will be permanently improved. Consequently, just in so far as reformers are reformers, they are obligated to abandon the traditional American patriotic fatalism. The national promise has been transformed into a closer equivalent of a national purpose, the fulfillment of which is a matter of conscious work. The transformation of the old sense of a glorious national destiny into the sense of a serious national purpose will inevitably tend to make the popular realization of the promise of American life both more explicit and more serious. As long as Americans believed they were able to fulfill a noble national promise, 
merely by virtue of maintaining intact a set of political institutions and by the vigorous individual pursuit of private ends their allegiance to their national fulfillment remained more a matter of words than deeds but now that they are being aroused from their patriotic slumber the effect is inevitably to disentangle the national idea and to give it more dignity the redemption of the national promise has become a cause for which the good american must fight and the cause for which a man fights is a cause which he more than ever values the american idea is no longer to be propagated merely by multiplying the children of the west and by granting ignorant aliens permission to vote like all sacred causes it must be propagated by the word and by that right arm of the word which is the sword the more enlightened reformers are conscious of the additional dignity and value which the popularity of reform has bestowed upon the american idea but they still fail to realize the deeper implications of their own program in abandoning the older conception of an automatic fulfillment of our national destiny they have abandoned more of the traditional american point of view than they are aware the traditional american optimistic fatalism was not of accidental origin and it cannot be abandoned without involving in its fall some other important ingredients in the accepted american tradition not only was it dependent on economic conditions which prevailed until relatively recent times but it has been associated with certain erroneous but highly cherished political theories it has been wrought into the fabric of our popular economic and political ideas to such an extent that its overthrow necessitates a partial revision of some of the most important articles in the traditional american creed the extent and the character of this revision may be inferred from a brief consideration of the effect upon the substance of our national promise of an alteration in its proposed method of fulfillment the substance of our national promise has consisted as we have seen of an improving popular economic condition guaranteed by democratic political institutions and resulting in moral and social amelioration these manifold benefits were to be obtained merely by liberating the enlightened self-interest of the american people the beneficent result followed inevitably from the action of wholly selfish motives provided of course the democratic political system of equal rights was maintained in its integrity the fulfillment of the american promise was considered inevitable because it was based upon a combination of self-interest and the natural goodness of human nature on the other hand if the fulfillment of our national promise can no longer be considered inevitable if it must be considered as equivalent to a conscious national purpose instead of an inexorable national destiny the implication necessarily is that the trust reposed in individual self-interest has been in some measure betrayed no pre-established harmony can then exist between the free and abundant satisfaction of private needs and the accomplishment of a morally and socially desirable result the promise of american life is to be fulfilled not merely by a maximum amount of economic freedom but by a certain measure of discipline not merely by the abundant satisfaction of individual desires but by a large measure of individual subordination and self-denial in this necessity of subordinating the satisfaction of individual desires to the fulfillment of a national purpose is attached particularly to the absorbing occupation of the american people the occupation viz of accumulating wealth the automatic fulfillment of the american national promise is to be abandoned if at all precisely because the traditional american confidence in individual freedom has resulted in a morally and socially undesirable distribution of wealth 
in making the concluding statement of the last paragraph i am venturing of course upon very debatable ground neither can i attempt in this immediate connection to offer any justification for the statement which might or should be sufficient to satisfy a stubborn skeptic i must be content for the present with the bare assertion that the prevailing abuses and sins which have made reform necessary are all of them associated with the prodigious concentration of wealth and of the power exercised by wealth in the hands of a few men i am far from believing that this concentration of economic power is wholly an undesirable thing and i am also far from believing that the men in whose hands this power is concentrated deserve on the whole any exceptional moral reprobation for the manner in which it has been used in certain respects they have served their country well and in almost every respect their moral or immoral standards are those of the great majority of their fellow countrymen but it is none the less true that the political corruption the unwise economic organization and the legal support afforded to certain economic privileges are all under existing conditions due to the malevolent social influence of individual and incorporated american wealth and it is equally true that these abuses and the excessive money power with which they are associated have originated in the peculiar freedom with which the american tradition and organization have granted to the individual up to a certain point that freedom has been and still is beneficial beyond that point it is not merely harmful it is by way of being fatal efficient regulation there must be and it must be regulation which will strike not at the symptoms of the evil but at its roots the existing concentration of wealth and financial power in the hands of a few irresponsible men is the inevitable outcome of the chaotic individualism of our political and economic organization while at the same time it is inimical to democracy because it tends to erect political abuses and social inequalities into a system the inference which follows may be disagreeable but it is not to be escaped in becoming responsible for the subordination of the individual to the demand of a dominant and constructive national purpose the american state will in effect be making itself responsible for a morally and socially desirable distribution of wealth the consequences then of converting our american national destiny into a national purpose are beginning to be revolutionary when the promise of american life is conceived as a national ideal whose fulfillment is a matter of artful and laborious work the effect thereof is substantially to identify the national purpose with the social problem what the american people of the present and the future have really been promised by our patriotic prophecies is an attempt to solve that problem they have been promised on american soil comfort prosperity and the opportunity for self-improvement and the lesson of the existing crisis is that such a promise can never be redeemed by an indiscriminate individual scramble for wealth the individual competition even when it starts under fair conditions and rules results not only as it should in the triumph of the strongest but in the attempt to perpetuate the victory and it is this attempt which must be recognized and forestalled in the interest of the american national purpose the way to realize a purpose is not to leave it to chance but to keep it loyally in mind and adopt means proper to the importance and the difficulty of the task no voluntary association of individuals resourceful and disinterested though they be is competent to assume the responsibility the problem belongs to the american national democracy and its solution must be attempted chiefly by means of official national action neither can its attempted solution be escaped 
when they are confronted by the individual sacrifices which the fulfillment of their national promise demands american political leaders will find many excuses for ignoring the responsibility thereby implied but the difficulty of such an attempted evasion will consist in the reinforcement of the historical tradition by a logical and a practical necessity the american problem is the social problem partly because the social problem is the democratic problem american political and social leaders will find that in a democracy the problem cannot be evaded the american people have no irremediable political grievances no good american denies the desirability of popular sovereignty and of a government which should somehow represent the popular will while our national institutions may not be a perfect embodiment of these doctrines a decisive and a resolute popular majority has the power to alter american institutions and give them a more immediate representative character existing political evils and abuses are serious enough but inasmuch as they have come into being not against the will but with the connivance of the american people the latter are responsible for their persistence in the long run consequently the ordinary american will have nothing irremediable to complain about except economic and social inequalities in europe such will not be the case the several european peoples have and will continue to have political grievances because such grievances are the inevitable consequence of their national history and their international situation and as long as these grievances remain the more difficult social problem will be subordinated to an agitation for political emancipation but the american people having achieved democratic institutions have nothing to do but to turn them to good account in so far as the social problem is a real problem and the economic grievance a real grievance they are bound under the american political system to come eventually to the surface and to demand express and intelligent consideration a democratic ideal makes the social problem inevitable and its attempted solution indispensable i am fully aware as already intimated that the foregoing interpretation of the promise of american life will seem fantastic and obnoxious to the great majority of americans and i am far from claiming that any reasons as yet alleged afford a sufficient justification for such a radical transformation of the traditional national policy and democratic creed all that can be claimed is that if a democratic ideal makes an express consideration of the social problem inevitable it is of the first importance for americans to realize this truth and to understand the reasons for it furthermore the assumption is worth making in case the traditional american system is breaking down because a more highly socialized democracy is the only practical substitute on the part of convinced democrats for an excessively individualized democracy of course it will be claimed that the traditional system is not breaking down and again no absolute proof of the breakdown has been or can be alleged nevertheless the serious nature of contemporary american political and economic symptoms at least pointedly suggests the existence of some radical disease and when one assumes such to be the case one cannot be accused of borrowing trouble i shall consequently start from such an assumption and make an attempt to explain contemporary american problems as in part the result of the practice of an erroneous democratic theory the attempt will necessarily involve a brief review of our political and economic history undertaken for the purpose of tracing the traditional ideas of their origin and testing them by their performances there will follow a detailed examination of current political and economic problems and conditions considered in relation both to the american democratic tradition 
and to the proposed revision thereof. In view of the increasing ferment of American political and economic thought, no apology is necessary for submitting our traditional ideas and practices to an examination from an untraditional point of view. I need scarcely add that the untraditional point of view will contain little or no original matter. The only novelty such an inquiry can claim is the novelty of applying ideas long familiar to foreign political thinkers to the subject matter of American life. When applied to American life, this group of ideas assumes a somewhat new complexion and significance, and the promise of such a small amount of novelty will, I trust, tempt even a disapproving reader to follow somewhat farther the course of the argument. End of chapter 1